Okay. Well, I wonder if you have ever heard of a phrase like this. That's not fair. He's got more than me, or that's not fair. She's got more than me. From a very young age, it's true, isn't it, that we're very aware of what other people have got. And if it's more than me, well, then that's not fair. If I ought to have exactly the same, or maybe a little bit more, particularly if I'm the older one, and we can get jealous. When we were kids... There was a bar of chocolate that would be divided between myself and my sister. And there was the debate about who would get the biggest half. And I can remember then mum had the wisdom one day to say, right, one of you can cut the other chooses. And because I wanted to be first, I said, I'll, I'll have the knife, I'll have the knife. And then to my regret, of course, in quickly cutting the bar of chocolate, there was a size like this and a size like that. It was my sister's choice to choose. So there's me wanting to be the one to have the knife because I was the oldest. And I still ended up with the smallest piece of chocolate. Oh, it was a lot sadder than that. No, now we're all of a sudden at pantomime, aren't we? It, from there onwards, took a lot longer to cut the piece of chocolate, I have to say, than it did to consume the chocolate. Age, though, I would dare to suggest, is irrelevant. We simply get better with age, maybe at masking some of the jealousy that we can feel, or some of the envy that can rise up inside of us in terms of what maybe others have got. That's at the heart of what we're exploring uh, today. We're starting a new series about the life of Joseph, the Old Testament uh, Joseph, uh, which can be found in the very first book in the Bible. So if you've got a Bible uh, at home, then please do turn to the book of Genesis, and then you'll be ready when that gets uh, read to us uh, to know where we're going. So Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And we're looking at the uh, the journey through this Old Testament character and it throws up the issue of jealousy but also of other issues that we face in our lives. So as we're thinking about these changing times that we're living in, this is a very relevant subject and passage of the Bible we thought to go through. Joseph is so significant in biblical terms that he takes up more space than Noah, Abraham, Isaac or Jacob. All big names in Old Testament terms. So what do we know about this guy? Well, maybe you can do your own uh, homework at home. Well, this Joseph had apparently film star looks, similar maybe to Ian Blackie. That was how attractive this Joseph was. He was known as Joseph the all comely, a reference to how physically attractive he was, but also maybe within that, a hint at how his spiritual life was viewed and revered. He wasn't liked by his brothers, but he didn't help himself when he was in his late teens. We're going to be hearing about that uh, shortly. He experienced suffering and fear in his life, but despite All those tribulations that he went through, Joseph remained faithful and he trusted in God to deliver him. 
If we were to lift a verse from the New Testament, Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 comes to my mind. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For those of us who live by faith or who seek to live by faith, like Joseph, God's presence is a comforting constant. In fact, he is mentioned in the New Testament as an example of faith. You can read about that in Hebrews 11 verse 22. And we touched on that yesterday in, in Cafe Church. His faith is most notably evident when we think about the way that he dealt with his brothers, particularly later on in his life. And it's here that maybe he echoes the example and encouragement of Jesus to not repay wrong for wrong. We see that forgiveness is always a part of God's plan. Hence in the Lord's Prayer, you may well remember one of the words we say is forgive us our trespasses, our sin, as we forgive those who trespass against us, who've sinned against us. It's mandatory. It's a lot easier to chunter out that line that many of us have done maybe hundreds or thousands of times. That it is in reality to put it into practice, isn't it? Beyond that, we've got in this story a sense of adventure, favoritism, hatred, deceit, greed, lies, grief, sorrow, sexual passion, temptation, injustice, famine, fear, intrigue, forgiveness, reconciliation, and above all, the story of Joseph shows us, Joseph shows us that God always has got a plan for us, even though it's not always evident at first sometimes even when we might feel in a prison it's a story that you might well want to write a musical about at the end of the day any dream will do and we're going to discover whether or not that is going to be true but first of all a question i say i say i say when is a story not a story we don't know when it that, that's there's a bit of a response okay if you remember the way the line goes so let's repeat that i do apologize if you're watching this live we've had no um sort of rehearsals on this front maybe we should have done i say i say i say when is a story not a story we don't know when is a story <laughs> the answer is this when it's a biblical narrative now i'll tell you why i've labored that point because when we look at Genesis chapter 37, it's very easy for us to just hear this as a story. And then we get to the end of the story and that's that. But it's never that's that with God's word for four reasons. Firstly, we've got here a historical record of an event that actually occurred. So let's hope that we can recapture something of the truth of the reality of this story as an event that occurred. Secondly, it's an explanation of God's dealings with his people. And if you're one of his people, then that ought to draw us in to think about how this might impact ourselves. Thirdly, we see God's purpose kind of working itself out through a specific individual, the hero in this context being uh, Joseph, of course. And fourthly, that those who wrote it, if we were going to cite 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 21, spoke from God as if they were, as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. That's really important. 
Because the New Testament says elsewhere in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all God's word, all God's word is God's breathe, is, is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, etc, etc. So I hope when we come to this story now that Eve is going to come and read to us from Genesis chapter 37, verse 2 to verse 20. Yes, we'll hear the story that ends on a cliffhanger quite deliberately so you tune in next week but more than that that we ask this question god what do you want to say to me through this particular passage eve is going to come and read to us this is from the message version of the bible chapter 37 this is the story of jacob the story continues with joseph 17 years old at the time helping out his brothers in herding the flocks. These were his half-brothers, actually, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, and Joseph brought his father bad reports on them. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the child of his old age, and he made him an elaborate embroidered coat. When his brothers realized that their father loved him more than them, They grew to hate him. They wouldn't even speak to him. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were all out in the field gathering bundles of wheat. All of a sudden, my bundle stood straight up and your bundle circled round it and bowed down to mine. His brothers said, so, you're going to rule us. You're going to boss us around. And they hated him more than ever because of his dreams and the way he talked. He had another dream and told this also to his brothers. I dreamed another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. When he told it to his father and brothers, his father reprimanded him. What's with all this dreaming? Am I not, am I and your mother and your brothers all supposed to bow down to you? Now his brothers were really jealous, but his father brooded over the whole business. His brothers had gone off to Shechem, where they were pasteurizing their father's flocks. Israel said to Joseph, Your brothers are with flocks in Shechem. Come, I want to send you to them. Joseph said, I'm ready. He said, Go and see your brothers and the flocks, how the flocks are doing, and bring me back a report. He sent him off from the valley of Hebron to Shechem. A man met him as he was wandering through the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? I'm trying to find my brothers. Do you have any idea where they're grazing their flocks? The man said, they left here, but I overheard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph took off, trapped his brothers down, and found them in Dothan. They spotted him off in the distance. By the time he got to them, they had cooked up a plot to kill him. The brothers were saying, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these old cisterns. We can say that a vicious animal ate him up. (laughs) We'll see what his dreams amount to then. If you've got your Bible with you, then we're going to stick with that uh, that chapter, chapter 37. And better do, exactly as Sarah uh, encouraged there, we're going to try to learn something else about this whole uh, issue of jealousy, which started 
with, well, this was the best I could come up with, really, of a coat of many colours. So here's one I've made earlier. No, not that I've made earlier. This was kind of borrowed from our costume department here at church for Christmas time. I did think about wearing this, but I don't think any of you would have been that jealous of what I was wearing at all. But there we go. I don't think anybody's probably that jealous of what I normally wear, to be honest. Anyway, a coat of many colours. I wonder what it indeed looked like. Well, as we think about jealousy, certainly from that chapter, there's not a great deal of positives about the way that either Joseph was in his teens or the way that maybe his dad responded or the way that his brothers were. Jealousy is really pretty destructive. We see that through the reaction of Joseph's brothers. They hated him. They couldn't even speak to him and were actually wanting him dead. Feelings in families can be very powerful, can't they? We can get very, very angry, particularly if we don't think something is fair. It's why most murders are carried out by a family member or by somebody who is known to the victim, not by strangers. We can get so angry if things are unfair or if we feel badly hurt or mistreated. And if we're not careful, something can then rise up from within us and then maybe be similar to what has occurred in this passage here, at least by way of principle. We can be jealous or create jealousy or flaunt our being the favourite. None of those things are godly. All of those things can be destructive. John Lennon wrote a song and I did think about doing a John Lennon impression and singing to you, but I then thought again. So I'm going to just read the words to this song where he said, I was feeling insecure. You might not love me anymore. I was shivering inside. I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry that I made you cry. No, I didn't want to hurt you. I'm just a jealous guy. It was also a song that was then done uh, by Roxy Music, you may well remember, depending on your different uh, era. I wonder if you are a jealous guy. I wonder if you are a jealous woman. Let's not pretend that that isn't going to be possible for us. In fact, about two minutes before we started today, as uh, the band were practicing that that song that was sung so beautifully by Helen from uh, Psalm 91, I was stood at the back of, oh, wow, to have a voice like that. I can't believe I've said that. I'm going to be speaking about jealousy, but I'm already thinking, wow, that's incredible. If only... You see, it can happen so quickly and so easily, can't it? According to the Cambridge Dictionary, we are jealous if we end up upset or angry because someone that you love seems interested in another person or fearing that someone you love loves someone else or is loved by someone else or if we're unhappy or angry because someone has something that you or we want or it can be extremely, uh, uh, if we're extremely careful and being overprotective of something or someone. Or if we're unhappy or slightly angry because we wish that we had someone else's qualities, advantages or success. There are various different elements to jealousy. And probably if we're honest, we've each had something be there at some point or other in our lives 
probably a lot more frequently than we would care to admit. So I want to think about this subject, but looking at the different angles of the characters that are, we see here portrayed in Genesis 37. And we'll be coming back and revisiting these characters as the story unfolds. Firstly, be sensitive about what you have. Be sensitive about what you have. Uh, I love my sister very, very much. Actually, she doesn't even know I'm going to be saying this about her today. But we've got this joke, this ongoing joke about who's the favourite child. And sometimes we'll wind uh, my, uh, our mum up in particular uh, about which is the favourite child. And there'll be comments uh, from my sister about, well, I hope you, you liked Roger's card. Um, and now here's one from your favourite child. That sort of thing. And we laugh. It's all good-natured and good-humoured. But there was no joke in the story here of Joseph. And you may well be a part of a family where you're very aware which one of your siblings was the favourite. You'll certainly be aware if it wasn't you. And for some of us, we carry that into old age, not just into adulthood, resenting about the way that someone else was treated. And why weren't we treated like that? We know that Joseph was clearly uh, the favourite child because we can read in verse 3, Jacob, that's his dad, loved Joseph more than any of his sons. He was just 17. But like maybe a number of teenagers, he had the gift of being able to be totally insensitive, didn't he? He tells tales on his brother's. He receives and then wears this special coat in front of his brothers, goading them because they've not received anything at all, even though they were older. And that was an important thing in their culture, particularly. And then he shares how God has spoken to him in dreams, not once, but twice. And on both occasions, this involved his brothers bowing down to him. Now, I don't know how we can best picture that, but as I'm seeing a group of of people before me here, and I hesitate to share this even by way of illustration only, I wonder how you would feel if I said, you know, I, I had a bit of a picture in a dream last night, and you were each bowing down to me. Well, I think I'd have to get out and leave pretty quick, because even in just suggesting that by way of illustration, it probably evokes something really quite not good within you. How dare he? And so we can imagine what that was like for the brothers who already despised Joseph for being the favourite. And that was before he even opened his mouth. At best, Joseph was thoughtless and naive. But at worst, he was maybe being deliberately provocative. And you can debate uh, what that, uh, what was going on there. What we do know is that led to the outcome in verse 8 of the fact that so they hated him all the more. Now, interestingly, those dreams came true, as we'll discover as the story uh, rolls on. So it's the handling of his gift that wasn't really there at all, was it? Maybe he wasn't quite ready or yet uh, approved to be used of God in a particular way. That sense of shaping takes time. 
If God has given us particular gifts, we need to be sensitive and mature in the way that we seek to operate those. We're quite open to receive here different words that God may well be giving to any person. What we don't want is for people to flaunt that and stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. Uh Uh-uh. If we feel that God has given something to us, I hope you pray that God would speak to you. Do let us know. So I don't know, I may well have had this wrong, but I just had this sense that what God might be saying is, is this. What do you think? And that's where there's then a group of other people that can weigh that and pray that through. That's the responsibility or one of the responsibilities of the elders of the church here. So it's not just something that's coming from our own uh, head or at least maybe see and seek the counsel of another person. Joseph doesn't do that at all, does he? He just blurts it out insensitively and boy, does he rile his dad. Despite Joseph's uh, defects, we'll see how God goes on to do the unlikely through the unlikely. We need to be aware, don't we, of what we have. We need to be aware that others may not have what we have. Or we need to be aware how we act, because, uh, or, or what we can uh, say, of course, can also uh, shape others or hurt others. So there's that sense of our own being sensitive about what we have. Not being presumptuous when we're in conversation and we're talking about things in a material way or things to do with money. Or maybe you're in a group and and somebody can't read or they can't add up and it's very easy to hurt someone who just doesn't have that same uh, capacity that you may well have. Or maybe it's a matter of Bible knowledge. And I've lost count of the number of times I've heard somebody from the front of this church say, well, as we all know, and then they chunter off a story and then people say to me, I didn't know that. And they feel that big. You see, even here, we can make assumptions, can't we? Yeah, But surely if you go to church, you know this story. I didn't go to church until my late teens. I got a call to ministry quite early on. But when I went to Bible college, I was surrounded by people that had been to Sunday school and learned all the stuff that maybe you may well have learned in Sunday school. I didn't know it. And then before long, I was doing stuff like this, stood in front of a group of people, but probably the group of people I was speaking to knew a lot more than I did. We need to be sensitive with how we use our words, don't we? Be sensitive about what you have. But secondly, let's seek to treat people, um, uh, let's seek to treat people equally. There's been a, a message to those of us who may well be favoured in some way like Joseph, but this is a message to those of us who might be tempted to show favouritism like, jo- like Jacob. Jacob. Jacob seems to be somewhat of a passive father. Nothing is recorded about his feelings or any sense of reaction to his daughter being raped or to his eldest committing incest at all. He seems unaware completely of how his favouring Joseph is going to impact the rest of the family. In total, Jacob had 13 children, six sons and a daughter through his first wife, Leah, 
two sons through a maidservant, and two through his second wife's maidservant. The Bible tells us that Joseph was special in verse 3 because he had been born to him in his old age. But he was also his first son through Rachel, that God's word says, who he loved more than any of his other women. That's quite significant, isn't it? And so you can see where that favoritism may well have come from. Didn't help Joseph's brothers a great deal. Maybe he felt sorry for Joseph growing up without a mother, as Rachel had sadly died through the death of her second child, Benjamin. Maybe it was just because Joseph was easier to handle, being different in character, an attitude from his brothers. But in showering Joseph with so much, including that multicolored uh, coat, Jacob did more harm than good. And that could be the same with ourselves. If you're a parent here or a grandparent, this passage is quite a challenge to us, isn't it? About the dangers of there being a favorite child or grandchild. We can easily favor one over another for our own uh, reasons or maybe sometimes, sadly, because of what we may well want back, which can highlight maybe our own insecurity, demonstrate our own sense of weakness, which we then in turn, if we're not careful, can pass on to our children. also need to think about how that less favored child is going to turn out. How do they feel in comparison to the other one who is more sporty or more academic, seeing all the accolades that all the family would give on that particular child? James chapter 2 reminds us, don't show favoritism. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? I wonder if we feel We've been tempted to show favoritism to our children in a particular way. Now, none of us are going to say, oh, oh, yes, I have. But let's think about that. Maybe speak to another family member who might be more honest with you. Sometimes things that are in front of our own eyes, we seldom at sea. If Jacob had simply sought to be positive to each of his sons, maybe there wouldn't have been the friction in the family that there clearly was. There's maybe a challenge as well for passive dads. I get a bit fed up when I pick up and read this whole thing of that parenting is the job or role of a mother. In my, in my previous uh, church, we ran a, a variety of parent, parenting courses for parents of teenagers, for parents of junior age children, and from pram to primary for parents of younger children. And I kid you not, I would have guys phone up to book their spouse in for the parenting course. And I very often ask the next question, well, are you coming as a a couple? I thought it was a parenting course. Uh, She'll be coming. And you can work out the implication that that is down to the mum. Worse still is when all the discipline is down to the mum. And dad is just seen as the fun guy. And if there's been marital breakdown, that can be exaggerated even more. I read quite recently that the average dad spends a maximum of five minutes a day with their children. 
If we're men in the home situation, this is a challenge to man up and be the man, the dad, that God has called you to be. Not to be passive or to leave everything to the homemaker who sadly very often is the mum. If you're a single parent, this is tough. But good on you for doing, in one sense, very often having to do both roles. God knows. He understands that pain and honours you for it. Treat people equally. Maybe if you're in a work situation, you can adapt the same principle. And finally, let's choose to respond positively. This is the message to those of us who are jealous, like Joseph's brothers. The book of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6, that we seldom would quote from, uh, work out uh, the reasons why. We read there, though, that jealousy is as cruel as the grave. Harsh words, direct words from the word of God about the devastation that jealousy can, can indeed um, have. We don't really know how long Joseph had been favoured or how long the brothers have felt such resentment. It seems to go way back. But it also appears that they didn't nip it in the bud. If we are unhappy or aggrieved about something, we should go to the person concerned and we should speak to them about it. Clarify the situation. Sometimes we can misunderstand or misconstrue, can't we? Especially in this age of text or sending an email where there's no facial expression. Or maybe even when there is a facial expression, but we're meeting someone they're hidden behind a mask. We can't really see what is the emotion that's going on behind that. The brothers simply harbored resentment and gossiped about Joseph. His brothers were jealous of him. Verse 8, we read. They no doubt egged one another on uh, as well. Their resentment then grew to complete hatred and they were soon to be out of control and that's what so often can occur doesn't it if we don't nip something in the bud whatever that issue is that we're struggling with verse 18 uh, the the uh, narrative continues they saw him in the distance and before he reached them they plotted to kill him now, I don't know if this is where Supertramp got their, uh, their inspiration for their hit in the late 70s of Dreamer, you're nothing but a dreamer. But the following verses, verses 19 and 20, we read these words. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and just say that a ferocious animal devoured him. <laughs> then we'll see what comes of his dreams seems reasonable for the brothers to kind of justify how they're feeling and we can all justify our actions very easily and quickly but we need to take responsibility for our actions we need to examine whether or not we're really nipping something in the bud or if we let something fester that doesn't have to be a family situation it could well be something here in a church situation as well If there's something that's a niggle for you, why not just talk to the person about it? Don't phone me up about your issue that you've got with somebody else. I'll give you a clue. The first thing I'll say is we'll go speak to the other person. But what we mustn't do is to let that fester within us. Deal with it. Nip it in 
the bud. With God's help and with his grace, we can choose to respond positively. Talk to the person. Seek to deal with things before they fester. If we don't, they'll grow and grow and grow. And then what started off so small. We've all heard of that phrase about things being made into a mountain out of a molehill. While things are small, let's nip it in the bud. We've got an opportunity to respond in song. A song that's simply called, God, I look to you. I invite you to do that. But before we sing, as the musicians come to take their places, I invite you to be still and to be silent before your God, whether or not we're here or whether or not you're watching this uh, today or at some other point in the week, and to just reflect on the issues that we've thought about. Am I someone who is jealous? Is there some sort of streak within me or something that I've allowed to, to build up within that I need to sort out? Do I treat everyone I come across, certainly those in my family, equally? And what about those things that I've got? Is that a reflection of my own status? Am I as sensitive about that as maybe I ought to be? Let's be still and allow God by his Holy Spirit to speak to us, to encourage us where we're at. If you are favoured in some way, be sensitive about that. If you're a parent or someone in authority, seek to treat everyone equally, even if others are different to you. If you feel aggrieved or things not being fair or in being treated differently, for whatever reason, act swiftly. But beyond that, let's hope that each of us see ourselves how God sees us. That we don't allow ourselves to be impacted by or shaped by how other people do or don't view us. We live for an audience of one. And what matters more than anything is how that one treats you and thinks of you. God has no favourites. We can maybe look at what others have or feel that uh, different things may well speak of God's favouritism, but his ways are not our ways. If we think of somebody else, well, look, they've got so much more than me. We have got so much more than someone else. But what does it mean to have much more? Jesus challenged that whole mode of thinking when he said about the capacity for ourselves to be rich in spirit. This God looks at the global and eternal picture and he wants all people of all backgrounds to trust in him, to trust in his love that he has for them, for you, for me. How else will different people be reached unless there are different people round about? Do you know how God truly sees you? How much he loves you. How precious you are to him. He loves you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Allow him in. Allow him in to touch you afresh. That we might indeed respond to him. And become more of that person that he's longing for us to be. 
open yourselves up to receive a fresh touch of his love. We're going to pray together before a final song. Go and invite John up who's going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then there'll be a final song that the band will play to us. May God bless you. Trust that God has spoken to you. And if you've got any questions, we would love to hear from you. If there's stuff that you want to find out about the church or things that have come up from this passage, this story, do get in touch. Email us. We would love to engage uh, with you. Or maybe now that we're able to have a walk or engage over a coffee, it would be great to do that as well. But for now, we're going to pray together. John. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we continue to thank you for all the people that have helped us through this period of lockdown. At a national level, we thank you for all the people who have provided services in the health and food sectors and many other areas of our lives. We thank you now for the people working to produce and distribute the vaccine, including all the local volunteers and the way in which this vaccine is going to change our lives. We thank you for all the people in our church who have supported us, especially those involved in leading worship, the technical teams, the communication team, and those involved in voluntary work like Food Share that help families in need. We thank you that the services broadcast by our own church and many other churches have helped helped us to understand the hope that we have in you and have reached out to people beyond our church community. We pray for all those significantly affected by the virus with health issues, bereavement, loneliness and we especially pray for people who will struggle to get their lives back to normal. In a moment of silence we bring before you Lord people known to us who are in need of our prayers. We thank you for the signs, Lord, that we are returning to normal, albeit a different normal. And Joy pinched one of my best lines this morning by reading in the paper that we are going to be able to hug hugs in the fairly near future. And we all look forward to that because, Lord, we have missed that human contact. We pray that all of our churches, and especially our own church, will be able to reach out to our communities that need our support, and that we have the skill and courage to bring others to a relationship with Jesus. Our opening song today, one which it is very difficult for us to sit there and not sing along with, says to us two important things. Lord, set our church on fire and make our hearts ablaze. And we really do take that message on board, Father.
So I'd like us to end with sharing the Lord's Prayer and I believe we can say it in the building as well as rather more loudly at home. So let us say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.